I feel like I'm preaching again up here. I was expecting to be at a little lectern, but that's all right. I, I'll try my best not to preach, and we'll do this as a class, but no promises. <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Open your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to base our lesson this morning on a few verses from, the, from this particular chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, there in verse 25 of this chapter, says the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, why in the world would the inspired Apostle Paul make such a statement that the foolishness of God is wiser than men? You know, friends, we know that God never did anything foolish. He's omniscient, as we talked about a few moments ago in our lesson. That is, he's all-knowing, so there could be nothing foolish. But the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, he's omnipotent. That's all-powerful, so we know there's no weakness. So, Paul, why are you making such a statement then here? Friends, he is instructing my limited understanding. As a matter of fact, that's why he began in verse 18. Let's look at it. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now, wait a minute. Someone says, to whom is the word of the cross considered to be foolishness? Well, to them that perish, obviously. Uh, You see, salvation is by faith. We talked about that. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, not by the manual, the discipline, the catechism, the book of Mormon, the Koran, the confession of faith, or whatever else you want to come up with. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There are many people today who think God's commands are irrelevant, non-essential, unnecessary, and foolish. Would you say, Paul, the foolishness of God is wiser than anything man could ever think of. And the weakness of God is stronger than anything man could ever conceive. As a matter of fact, he's telling me what I should have learned back in my reading of the Old Testament. Keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 1 and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. He's telling me what I should have learned in my reading of the Old Testament. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What I need to understand is I am the creation of the Creator. You know, the figurative expression that we frequently hear and we frequently use sometimes is that he is the potter, I am the clay. He knows better better of me than I know myself, of course. He knows exactly what I need. So since man is in a fallen estate, alienated from God, he desires that man come again into a conciliatory relationship with himself. But now the very nature of man made in the image and likeness of God is the basis of the two trees in the Garden of Eden. You see, man is a creature of choice. 
He must decide. You know, when God provided through the death, burial, and subsequent resurrection of his dear son, the instruction or means of redeeming a sinner such as I, he based it upon that which would require of me a decision. Why? Because I'm made in the image and likeness of God. Oh, and a decision made not upon human logic, but upon faith. That's his instruction. Do you remember Paul when he came into Corinth? Of course, he was a tent maker, along with Aquila and Priscilla. But he was fortunately had that uh, trade, and there was a need for his services, so he worked. But I remember that God said to him, Speak and hold not thy peace, for I have much people in this city. Now, wait a minute, Lord. Are you saying here that there are many people in the city of Corinth that love you and follow you? No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. I have much people in this city in the sense that there are many people in this city that when they hear the truth, they will respond. Paul, you sow the seed in the hearts. Now, that simplifies it, doesn't it? I don't have to be a Ph.D., I don't have to have this necessary quality or that particular talent or this here ability. I just preach the truth. No doubt he encountered people in Corinth just as we encounter people today who think, oh, that's silly, that's, that, that has nothing to do with anything. I mean, I don't see any connection in doing this. It just seems foolish. Uh, friends, you can't reason it out. What was Paul's admonition to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1? You remember he said, preach the truth, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Paul, what would you say? Reprove, rebuke, exhort. I need that. Someone says, well, that's two-thirds negative. You better believe it. I need that. I need that kind of preaching. Paul needed that kind of preaching. He warned against the, the idea that there's anything known as the impossibility of apostasy. That is, once saved, always saved. There is no once saved, always saved in Scripture, ever. You see, Paul needed that kind of preaching as well. Preach the Word. That's what people need. Sure, most people are not going to, I mean, they're, they're going to reject it. There's no question. But you remember Noah was a preacher of righteousness and Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, how many people did Noah save in 120 years? Now, keep in mind, this is an interesting point, that when God said, my soul will not dwell with mankind, but 120 years, basically. Now, Noah would have been 480 years old when God made that statement. Because he was 600 years old when the flood came, and he was 500 years when Shem, Ham, and Japheth were born. So that makes Noah 480 years old when Noah, when God made the statement that he, there's going to be a flood in 120 years. Now, we don't know at what point in time he told Noah and how many years it took him to build that ark. We're not really told. But suppose it was the 120 years that he preached, and God had told him immediately when he, when he made up his mind on that that there was going to be a flood. How many souls were saved? Noah, his wife, their three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. Worthwhile? Absolutely. Absolutely. No wonder Paul wrote, seeing in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom knew not God. Verse 21, 1 Corinthians 1. Oh, uh, that it was God's good pleasure through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. 
We need total dependence upon God, don't we? That's the only way we can do His will. And that, by the way, is the only basis which we can become recipient upon the promises predicated in this word. It's a matter of faith. The foolishness of God, yes. That which man would consider to be foolish. That which the human mind, man's ability to perceive with so-called logic just can't make any sense out of it. There are many instances in Scripture where this is certainly demonstrated, and the purpose of it is to show that salvation is by faith, not by my logic, not by my reasoning, uh, not by my thinking, not by how I feel. Salvation is by faith. Just doing what God said do and the way God said do it, that's faith. You recall John chapter 9. Jesus is with his disciples, of course, and they encounter a man who was born blind. Now, you remember what his disciples asked him, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? That seems to be human reasoning, doesn't it? Human logic. I mean, there must be some background of reason here. I mean, God wouldn't do this to a fellow, would he? I mean, there's got to be some sin on the part of his parents or he's got to be a reprobate or something like that. Whoa, 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 hold on. Jesus said, neither. Neither. But that the power of God should be made manifest. Friends, I need to look at every situation in life that exists as an opportunity for sharing the good news of human redemption. Now, we can't perform miracles, and we could not restore this man's sight. Oh, but I can give him spiritual insight. I can share with him the love of God. I need to view every negative situation and every positive circumstance in this life as an opportunity of sharing the good news of human redemption. Now, do you remember what Jesus did? This was in the days of miracles. Now, he's performing miracles in demonstration of the fact that he is indeed the Son of God. He claims to be the Christ. Here's the evidence of it. There's no question. As a matter of fact, this blind man later said, We know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and do his will, him he heareth. Now, let's see what he did. The record says that Jesus spat on the ground, made spittle with the clay, and anointed this man's eyes. Now, human reasoning says, well, that's distasteful. That, that seems foolish. Why in the world would he do something like that? Hey, this is the Son of God. And this blind man made no argument at all with what the Lord was doing. Jesus made clay and anointed his eyes. Well, someone says, well, that should be sufficient. Now, he should be able to see. No, no. No, no, listen to him. He said to the blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Wait a minute, the pool of Siloam? From what I understand, Tony will know this much better than I, but it was kind of on the southern slope there of the city, the southeast corner, fed by the spring of Gihon from the Kidron Valley, hewn out of a rock. But I understand from some that it's quite a journey. It could have been rough, could have been rugged terrain. I mean, not the easiest thing to get to and. uh you know, they're under the slope of the major part of the city. I mean, Lord, I've got a bucket of water here. I'll just rinse my eyes and, and you know, that should be fine. What Jesus say? He said to this man whose eyes he anointed, he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. 
that is specific. Now, can't you just see this fellow? He's got a stick, you know, touching his way to Siloam, difficult to get to. Maybe somebody helped him, but I doubt it. It's rather doubtful. I hope they did. But Lord, this is inconvenient. I mean, this isn't handy. Why not some other way? This man didn't question him. Did not question him. We don't, we don't know how long it took him to get there or whether it was an hour or several hours, but he washed in the pool of Siloam and the scripture says he came seeing. But someone says, well, water is water. I mean, what is the virtue, the power in the waters of Siloam to heal blindness? None. Absolutely none. That fellow wasn't healed by water. He wasn't healed by the clay. How was he healed? By faith. By faith. What's that? He did what the Lord said do. That's it. That's it. Demonstrated throughout Scripture. You remember in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, whatsoever written or things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And, of course, you recall Paul's enumerations of a number of sins of Israel, that is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he talks about one rebellion after another. They engaged in this and they did that. They suffered the consequences of their actions. And in verse 11, 1 Corinthians 10, he said, Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So I need to learn something here. I need to take a lesson from this. You remember in the Old Testament under the leadership of Moses, left the bondage of Egypt, having witnessed the awesome power of God with those ten plagues, You know, God struck at those idol gods of Egypt. What did he do? He delivered his people from that sore bondage in that land. The Lord required Moses to lead them to encamp near Migdal over against the Red Sea. Now, wait a minute. Lord, let's discuss this. If we encamp there, we'll be surrounded by enemies. I mean, our passage is blocked by the Red Sea. That's not good strategy. That would be rather foolish for this large encampment to be ensnared or trapped. I suppose, you know, old Pharaoh could change his mind and and he should come after us. and, And we've got enemies on both sides then. We're backed up against the Red Sea with no escape. Lord, that's foolish. What did the Lord tell Moses to do? You encamp before Migdal over against the Red Sea. That's it. What did Moses do? Exactly what God said. How do you have that work out? Oh, God demonstrated his love, his protection of, for and of, for and of his people. Yes, Pharaoh changed his mind, and here they come. And it looks like the situation's hopeless. What did the Israelites do? Just like many today, when things are negative in nature, where there doesn't appear to be a door to go through, of which I can pass out of these problems. I mean, there's burdens, there's difficulties, and what do most people tend to do? Gripe and complain. Human nature. Friends, we're made in the image and likeness of God. Our Heavenly Father controls the affairs of this life. When things are negative, when problems arise over which I have no control, what should I do? Oh, Jesus said, or rather, I'm sorry, James In James chapter 5, verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
So we're to pray to God? Absolutely. When things are good and when things aren't so good. You see, I need to pray to my Heavenly Father who controls the affairs of this life. In other words, when you really get down to the brass tacks, I need to know what He requires of me is for my good. Oh, I'll suffer some. I may suffer. It's possible I may suffer physical affliction because of my faith. As in the sermon a moment ago, Jesus died? Yes. He was persecuted? Yes. Ridiculed? Yes. Laid His back open with a scourge? Yes. Spat in His face? Yes. Why did He come? Do the will of the Father. Matthew seven twenty one through the end of the chapter. No question, I may suffer for doing the will of the Father, but it's the wisdom of God that will ultimately enable me to stand justified before him in the final analysis. You see, the foolishness of God is far wiser than man. There's no question about it. God had been leading these Israelites, you remember, by a pillar of cloud in the daytime, pillar of fire at night. And the scripture says it turned and stood between the two camps. And Moses prayed to God, and God said, Stretch out thy hand over the sea, and Moses did. God caused a strong east wind to blow all that night. In the morning there was a path of dry land. Those waters congealed as a wall on either side. And there was dry land to the distant shore. How the Israelites crossed, Hebrews eleven twenty nine, by faith. Israel passed through the Red Sea on dry land. How'd they drop? How'd they pass? Trusting God. Friends, there's always a blessing in faith. There's always condemnation in my rejection of God's word. You see, the word of the cross is to them that perish. Foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. The entire Egyptian army was destroyed. They pursued. The Lord closed the sea upon them. Israelites saw the Egyptians dead upon the shore. Bodies washed up there. God saved Israel that day. Exodus 14, 30, affirmed by Paul. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, they all passed under the cloud to the sea. God saved Israel that day. But and while that was physical, and while God dealt with people in that way under the law of Moses, the law of sin and death, same principle is true today. You do what God said, you find the enemies of your faith, you'll find the influence of Satan, useless, dead as it were, washed to your feet. Friend, you can be victorious. You can overcome the negative influences of this world. You see, one man and God is a majority. I need to remember that. How can that be done? Friend, I'm powerless to do it myself. I don't have the kind of wisdom. I don't always understand. Uh, I don't think in, you know, oftentimes I do think in terms of the mundane as well, the earthly, the physical. Oh, but when I walk by faith, it always works for my benefit and my happiness. You remember what the record said in Joshua chapter 6? Very familiar passage. Joshua led the children of Israel across the river Jordan. Now this was in the time of its flooded state. But he led them across dry shod. As you see, God walked back the waters up to the village of Adam and they went across on dry land. Even though in the flood season that little valley's just washed out completely. But not when they crossed. No, no, they went across on dry land. But you remember after crossing the river Jordan, the first city they coveted was the high wall, well fortified, heavily armed city of Jericho. Now, I'm, I'm, I can suppose, and maybe we all make suppositions sometime. Of course, Joshua was a military man. We know that. But don't you suppose that he had had plans as a military person, consulting maybe his military strategists? We're not told in Scripture, but he would have done nothing without a plan. 
You see, Lord, I've got some ideas about how to go about this. I, you know, I've consulted these strategists. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe have a heavy ramrod. <clears throat> and with eight or ten men, we'll hit that gate hard and fast. And maybe we'll have some archers over here and some more over here and keep them from shooting down at us while we're, we're trying to take that main gate. And Hold on. An angel of the Lord appeared unto him with a drawn sword in his hand. Well, Joshua was fearless, walked right up to him and said, Are thou for us or adversaries, friend or foe? He was going to take him on in battle. When he learned he was angel of the Lord, took his shoes off, knelt down before him. Angel of the Lord said, This day have I delivered this city into thy hands. Isn't that marvelous? Of course, the angel of the Lord said, Form your men in this order. Oh, he said, the armed men up front, the seven priests bearing ram's horns, the Ark of the Covenant, let the nucleus bring up the rearward. In that order, march around that city one time each day for six days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. Upon conclusion, that seventh time around, the priests blow long on the ram's horns, let the people give a great shout, those walls will fall flat, and every man shall go up before it. Mm. Wait a minute, Lord. These are heavy walls. I mean, it's said that you could turn a chariot around on top of I mean, the stones that it took to build these walls. Would you say, Lord, I've given this city into thy hands. When did God give the city of Jericho into the hands of Joshua? Simple. When Joshua did what God said, that's called faith. Joshua began immediately. Oh, he arranged his men in that order. They marched around that city one time each day for six days. Nothing happened. On the seventh day, marched around six times, still nothing happened, but on conclusion, that seventh time around, those people blew and shouted, those walls fell flat, they went up and took that city and didn't lose a man. How'd they do that? Well, Hebrews 11, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been compassed about for seven days. Someone says, wait just a minute, from a practical standpoint, now let's think about this. What in the world would marching and blowing and shouting have to do with broad, heavy, high walls falling down flat? Not one thing. As a matter of fact, you could march around a tent for a month, and that thing wouldn't fall. I mean, you could, you could blow any kind of trumpet you want to. That's no good. You wouldn't amount to anything. You couldn't take a tent doing that. But who's speaking here? God. What do you say? This day have I delivered this city into thy hands. Isn't that wonderful? What did Joshua do? Exactly what God said do. Didn't waste a moment. But Lord, from a military strand, st standpoint, I just don't understand. I mean, that's foolishness. Right. I mean, I have some plans for solving this situation. I've got some good ideas. I think I know how to go about this. Friends, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. And certainly I have no knowledge about salvation from sin except what I read in the Word of God. How did Joshua take that city? By faith. By faith. What does faith do? Complies with God's instruction. Someone says, well, that doesn't make sense. Would you say, Paul, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, far wiser than man could ever devise, far wiser than anything that man could plan, far wiser than anything man could even think. That's what Paul is telling us. Do what the Lord tells you to do. Oh, yes, the physical man, foolish, foolishness, but that's beside the point. Oh, and pertaining to the physical, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the natural man, 
receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are what? Spiritually discerned or judged. So then I need to think in terms of faith. Right. I need to regulate and order my life by thus saith the Lord. That's correct. You see, if it, it doesn't just work, it works perfectly. It works to my advantage. It supplies my spiritual needs. And in, incidentally, my material needs as I walk in the illuminated pathway of the Son of God. It's a wonderful thing indeed. Let's give another example. You remember in Numbers chapter 21, 4 through 9, the Israelites, a little later on, journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. The record says that the souls of the people were much discouraged because of the way. They murmured against God and against Moses. They said, why have you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? They said, we'd have been better off back down in Egypt to serve as slaves to the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. Oh, what's the problem, Israel? Oh, they said there's no bread. There's no water. Our souls loathe. We contend. We despise this light bread. The manna that God rained upon Israel six days out of every week for 40 years. And these people have the audacity, the ingratitude, if you will, to say they despise what God has given them to keep them alive. You remember what God did? He sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people, and many people of Israel died. Typical of frail humanity. They came unto Moses. They said, we've sinned against God and against thee. Of course, when it's too late for many. They said, pray unto Jehovah that he remove the fiery serpents from among us. Moses, always faithful, prayed. And God said, Moses, make thee a serpent of brass. Put it on a pole in the middle of the camp. And it shall come to pass if any man is bitten. When he looks to the brazen serpent, he'll live. Someone says that is total nonsense. I mean, that's ridiculous. Unnecessary, non-essential. Oh, but the foolishness of God is wiser than man. Someone may ask, why does God do this kind of thing? I mean, why does he require such actions that doesn't make any sense to the physical man? Oh, I think he explains that. First Corinthians 1, Paul says, For ye see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And then the next verse. God chose the weak things to confound the mighty. The foolish things to confound the wise. The things are not the things that are despised God chose. See, he may bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his sight. 27 through 29. That same chapter. When I am the recipient of the blessings of God, it will be because I did what God said. That's called faith. Abraham, God said, Abraham, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from my father's house, into a land that I'll show thee. I'll make of thee a great nation. I'll bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. I'll bless them that bless thee. I'll curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And you remember what the scripture said about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11? He said, by faith, when he was called to go out into a place, which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he did what? He went. He went. That's faith. Well, someone says, that's not good sense. Right. Well, that's not logical. Right. Well, why would you just jump up, go somewhere, you have no idea where you're going? God said to Abraham, all of his life was considered a friend of God. 
By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, and as a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. We need simply to hear and comply with the Lord's instruction. I'm going to give a couple more samples, examples here, and we'll get about five minutes left. You remember in the New Testament, we read of Paul's conversion. Chapter 9, chapter 22, chapter 26 of the book of Acts. As he neared or drew near to the city, a bright light shined about him. Above the brightness of the noonday sun, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul said, Who art thou, Lord? The voice said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. So Saul saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. Right. Now you do remember to be an apostle of the Lord. One must first have been an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ, Acts 1.22, 1 Corinthians 15, 8 and 9, and last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. So you remember that when he got up, he was blind. Had be, had be the led by the hand of those who were with him in the street called Straight in the city of Damascus, where for three days and three nights he could neither eat nor drink. Let me ask you, I've always wondered here, have you ever wondered about how many times Saul visualized Stephen being stoned? How many times did the sounds of those stones beating the life from Stephen's body had gone through his mind? Ananias, a disciple sent to him by the Lord to restore his sight. You remember when Ananias came to him, Saul was praying, a penitent believer. But when Ananias tell him to do, verse 16, And now why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I don't read of Paul making any argument or inquiring as to why he should do such. In Acts chapter 9, 17 through 20, the record says he received his sight. He arose. He was baptized. He took food and was strengthened and began to publish abroad the kingdom of God. But let's take the instance of salvation. The plan of salvation. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith is impossible to be pleasing unto him. Right. Hebrews eleven six. Didn't Jesus say, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins? John eight twenty four. And he said, verse 21, and if, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot come. Didn't he say in Luke 13, 3, except you repent, you'll perish? In Mark 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Verse 16, he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. Wait a minute. Someone says he put belief and baptism before salvation. Right. Someone says, what's the connection of being dipped in water in remission of sins? Oh, same connection that there was for the blind man going to the pool of Siloam. Same connection there was for Naaman going down dipped seven times in the river Jordan to be clean, healed of leprosy. Same connection. None. You see, salvation is by faith. You do not receive the blessing until you comply by or you comply with the Lord's instruction. That's why Paul wrote, as he did here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that the word of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Friends, I dare say most of the world thinks probably what we're doing here this morning and each time we assemble together for worship and class is foolish. Friends, he wants me to know that I'm a sinner. The only hope of my salvation lies in the power of God and the appropriation of that salvation is through my faith. And that faith is made manifest by obedience to his instruction. Those instructions represent and are a manifestation of his unmerited favor, are doing what he said. 
That's faith. That's faith. The word of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen in your life. Keep in mind that salvation is a matter of faith. Faith is a matter of my compliance with the Lord's will always. I've been told to give an invitation this morning. If you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ, why not come to him in humble obedience to repent of your sins, confess his name, and then following his instruction to be buried with him in that watery grave of baptism, raised to walk in newness of life, a new creature, continually covered by his precious blood as you walk in the light, First John 1, verse 7. He said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all unrighteousness. Friend, that's not a one-shot proposition. That's a continuing process. What's that? We keep on walking in the light as he is in the light. We keep on having fellowship with others that do the same thing. And he said the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, keeps on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. You can count on it. If you're a child of God, you desire the prayers of the church, let us pray with you and for you. If we can assist you at this time, let it be known as together we stand and sing.